Well, hey there. I'm Lauren Dimmitt Waters, and I'm a New York City-based blogger and influencer who's been covering beauty, style, and lifestyle for what seems like forever. But now I'm a woman in midlife who wants to discover all of the secrets to growing younger. I'm ready to explore topics that deal with health and anti-aging, especially when it comes to beauty, fashion, wellness, and longevity. I'll find the foremost experts to unearth what's new, what works, and even what you shouldn't waste your money on. I'm on the hunt for the latest and greatest discoveries and strategies to help us all get through this journey called life with a little humor and a lot of attitude. I want to keep fighting the fight so we can all grow old ungracefully. So welcome to Beauty is a Bitch. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of Beauty is a Bitch. So nearly 28 million women in the United States suffer from migraines as compared to their male counterparts. Fluctuating estrogen levels, pregnancies, and other lifestyle factors can trigger headaches and migraines. Dr. Fred Cohen, an internist and headache specialist at Mount Sinai Health System in New York City, is with us today to explain ways to combat and treat migraines through each phase of a woman's life. Hi, Dr. Cohen. Welcome. Can you tell Hi, us Lauren. Little- Thank you for having me here. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Sure. The- so I'm yeah. a headache specialist. A headache specialist is someone who, like it sounds, treats headaches, who completed a fellowship extra training in headache medicine. Uh, well, most of these individuals are usually neurologists. I'm a bit of a uh, interesting one that I actually did internal medicine. I used to be a primary caregiver, um, and then I became uh, more specialized in only headache medicine. So all I treat is headaches, from migraines, cluster headaches, any kind. That's what I do. Okay, and I heard you also experience migraines, right? You're you're coming from this from a yeah. So I, since, as long as I can remember, I suffered from a bad headache once a week. Didn't know what it was until I was in medical school. We were in our headache lecture, and they brought up migraine. I'm sitting there like, oh, that sounds interesting, and that's when I figured out, oh, it wasn't just a headache. I've been suffering with migraine my entire life. Oh wow! So let's get. Back to basics here. What is a migraine and how many people suffer from it? So a migraine, the the first thing I'll say is we don't fully understand. If you figure it out, you'll win the Nobel Prize in medicine. Uh, (laughs) We know parts of the puzzle. It's been something that has perplexed the medical community for a long time. In short, it's you could think of an inflammation in your head. There's this inflammatory attack that's occurring. And it's setting off different pain circuits. We know the pain circuits involved. We know what nerves are involved. We know where it's all going. The big question is the why. What's what's the spark? What starts it? You know, and that's sort of where a lot of research is. And and that a way I also explain it is think of a racetrack. Meaning, let's say I pinch your cheek. You know, so the pain circuit goes off. It makes a loop, and it's done. But with migraine, think of there's no finish line to this racetrack. It's just going and going. Again, the pain circuitry is not working really correctly. And that's why this pain sort of ramps up and lasts, you know, longer, you know, than not just me pinching your cheek. We're talking hours to days. Whoa. Yeah. They're very debilitating. My husband suffers from them. It's not, it's not fun. I get them seasonally, just seasonal allergy related ones, but they are not fun. So why are women more susceptible to migraines? And does this pick up when a woman's in menopause? So as you were saying before, that women are more affected by migraine, which is true. The, the numbers are about um, 
18% of women in the country are affected by migraine. This compares to with men about anywhere from five to 8%. And that's, you know, a very stark contrast, you know, difference between the two um, sexes. And there's been a lot of questions of why. And there's, there's a lot of proposed reasonings. Um, and what's interesting is that actually uh, men typically develop migraine if they're going to have migraine earlier in their life, usually around the age of five. You know, that's the common age when it, it starts to appear where women actually it's later it could be uh, eight or around when they first have their first menstrual cycle, maybe around 11 or 12. So it's interesting that women are more effective, but men actually get it earlier in their life. So mm -hmm. one of the uh, major uh, proposals, uh, uh, hypothesis why women are more affected is really when it comes to hormones, specifically estrogen. You know, estrogen um, is, has a lot of functions, a lot of, a lot of functions. And we do know from a lot of studies, specifically animal studies, that estrogen also interacts with a lot of receptors within the brain. Mm. And the thought is that that estrogen is modulating certain pain circuitry, certain receptors, and that when there's changes, this, go, this could lead to a migraine attack, which is another reason why it's thought that women will develop migraine at the age of 11 or 12 when they have their first um, when they have the first menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. And this is also why during menses that the attack will occur. And then as you were saying for menopause, that um, there are a lot of women actually will not have, uh, well, they will sort of, I don't, I guess use the term cure, but their migraine will go away. Um, mm -hmm. such as, uh, the women in my family, my aunt, my grandmother, my mother, all their migraines ceased uh, when they actually went through menopause. Which my mother said to me, like, oh, yeah, your migraines will go away in time. Like, no, I'm a guy. That's not happening to me. <laughs> That's not happening. I mean, I'll be, I'll, I'll be as stunned as you are if I go through menopause. <laughs> um, but again, it's these changes in estrogen. Okay. Wow. Um, so are you that, so what you're saying is, is that women, if you have migraines when you're younger, you could basically outgrow them because of menopause. Do women in menopause still possibly, but there are women, I know women in menopause that get them. So obviously that's not the answer for everybody. Right. Right. This is, and I'll, I'll say this with a caveat. I always tell every patient of mine, every headache is unique. Every single headache is unique. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I say this in all aspects because I have people, you know, patients come to my clinic and they're like, Oh, my friend tried this treatment, um, but it didn't work for me. Why not? And again, it's all first off goes back to we don't fully understand what's happening in migraine. Like um, I was just in Seoul, Korea for the International Headache Congress, where there was a mate, like another major study was released that showed another kind of neurological function, something called secondary messengers, uh, which is sort of how cells talk to each other, was discovered to be related to migraine attack. So you so there's still pieces of the puzzles we're figuring out. And that's why I like to think that, you know sort of my own hypothesis, there's different nuances and sort of why we get, you know, migraine attacks. And that's why some treatments work for some and for others. Like I said, I have women who develop migraine for the first time in their thirties. Why? I have women who develop migraine for the first time when they go through menopause, when the after right. menopause finish, the women who when only when they're pregnant, do they get migraine attacks? It's all different. You know, while yes, the most common presentation is when menses starts during during menstrual attacks, it's estimated between anywhere from twenty five percent to seventy percent, very wide range. Like studies, you know, are, are are sort of all over the place. 
of women who have migraine will get an attack during menstrual cycles. And most women, when they go through menopause, they will cease or lessen. Okay. Okay. Thanks for clearing that up. So what are some treatments to alleviate headaches and migraines in women? So overall, the treatments, you know, will be the same for men. So this is, um, there are a very wide variety. And then uh, like the the first common treatment that people might have heard was something called a triptan. Um, and a triptan is a kind of treatment that is used to stop the attacks. Meaning we have two kinds of treatments. And this is always why I explain to my patients, we have what we call abortive, which means stopping the attack when it happens and then preventative. So uh, you take a triptan when you feel the attack starting. Another common drug, and this came about three years ago, uh, is something called a G-pan. Um, we've entered what I call sort of the golden age of headache medicine, where uh, for a lot of treatments that I'll bring up, they weren't necessarily invented for migraine. They were invented for something else and found out to work on similar pathways. And like, oh, hey, this treats migraine. That's neat. And triptan is really the only treatment that was actually specifically designed for it. And then in about five years ago, we had uh, these drugs that target something called calcitonin gene-related peptide. Long word, we call it CGRP. It's a neuropeptide that we found out is related to migraine. Now we have drugs that target it. So GPENT is that. It's a pill that targets this neuropeptide, and it's something you take when you get the attack. But let's say you're having more than six attacks a month, because you can only take these abortives so many times a month. Well, that's when we bring up preventative treatment, meaning with this it's not designed to stop an attack when you get it. It's designed to reduce the frequency so that when you do get an attack, you don't have to be taking so many abortives. Um, the, what we call first-line treatment are, going back to what I said, the treatments that weren't necessarily discovered for migraine, we use it. One is called propanolol, which is actually a heart rate drug, but very effective for migraine. Another is called topiramate, which was designed as an anti-seizure drug, very effective for migraine. And then something called tricyclic antidepressants. Patients are still like, you're giving me an antidepressant. I say, hold on, we're not giving the antidepressant dose. All these doses of these drugs I mentioned are typically lower than the original design for their treatment. And then that, that's what generally most providers will start with. And then, as I was saying, GPANs target CGRP. They also have invented something called a monoclonal antibody. Think of it like a synthesized um, you know, immune response that, you know, Doctors created that we give to you to uh, an injector pen, like an EpiPen, you take once a month. And that's a very good preventative treatment. Um, and a lot of people have heard about Botox, which is true. Botox is used to treat migraine. Uh, oh, they're not lying? My girlfriends aren't lying that tell me that they get Botox for migraines? <laughs> like, they're not lying. They are not lying. <laughs> And I'm kidding. So, I'm joking. I know. No, like, and, and no, so, so someone <laughs> I was saying, somebody's just like, what? And I'm like, I yes. And, and I, yeah. and you know, I, the, the, the information behind Botox and I'm not biased any treatments, but you know, I find it such an interesting treatment because Botox is poison. I don't think many people actually know that Botox is synthesized, um, Clostridium, um, botulinum, which is a bacteria spore and not to scare people getting Botox. Um, the story, you, of, you know, you, <laughs> you know, but what it does is Botox, um, I describe it as it stops nerve transmissions. What it's actually doing is, re is reducing the release of neuropeptides between synapses of neurons. So it decreases nerve communication. You think of it like that. So cosmetic purposes, it stops the muscles from um, contracting, which is why um, wrinkles go away. But in the pain world, in the migraine world, it stops the release of, uh, of peptides related to pain. 
And also, it's not just in the forehead. It's 31 to 40 injections over the entire head. It's a lot of Botox. And that is specifically given to what we call chronic migraine, which is those who suffer from at least eight migraine attacks a month with at least seven more other headache days. So it's people who have, you know, they're having quite frequent headaches. It's, you know, if you have like maybe one or two attacks a month, you know, it's not FDA approved for that. But for, you know, those who suffer from such a quite number of attacks, it's a fantastic treatment. Um, and those are, I would say, you know, there are a lot of other treatments that um, have not as high of evidence, but you know, I could talk for hours about the various, like, it's dozens and dozens of different treatments. Um, what, what about um, some of the prescriptions that we see commercials for lately, like um, Ubrelvi, I, Neurotech, OTD? Do those work? So and, those I mean, just are so G-Pants. can ask for those. I'm sorry. Yes, continue. Sure. Those are G-Pants, which was the, uh, the, one of the abortive drugs I was mentioning before that Target GRP, that neuropeptide. So again, this is the hot new jazz, as I call it. You know, now there's Zave Japan, um, Zabsprat, uh, which I think Pfizer would be like, oh, you said it wrong, they'll yell at me. Uh, but that's <laughs> another new G-Pan that was FDA approved recently and now in pharmacies, you know. And there's also Culipto at Japan. These are all these G-Pan drugs that are new. So yeah, now ever, that's what people come in, they see the commercial with Serena Williams or what, Kim Kardashian. Right, right. Uh, there's Lady Gaga. Uh, and yeah, which I love that they're doing these kinds of commercials because it, it brings awareness, you know, where the the biggest battle, you know, in headache medicine is is sort of like so almost all my patients when they see me, they go, I never knew you exist like this kind of field existed. I didn't knew. I thought this was just a headache and migraine is not just a headache. There's a lot of stigma that is with this. Like I can't tell you growing up when I'll be telling a friend or my parents, like I'm having a really bad headache. Oh, drink more water. It's like, no, it's not going to to do it right, right. now there's these celebrities that are like i suffer from you know migraine and there are treatments available you know uh because again when you think of even more than five ten years ago there weren't the, we didn't have that kind of you know commercials like that uh but yeah so those those are treatments that some of them could be taken again as uh when you have the attack some will be taken as a preventative again to to re- to prevent them uh to reduce the frequency beforehand but uh, that's the sort of the, the new stuff. And there's also, again, the monoclonal antibodies, the pens that works, you know, similar targets that peptide that um, I know Amavig makes commercials. I've seen them Gaudi before. There's a Jovi. There's Viapti. Okay. And those are similar, but that's a once a month um, okay. uh, treatment versus taking it when you get it. Are there safe treatments for women? Are these the same treatments that you recommend for women going through menopause that are getting migraines? Um, so I guess before I say that, one thing I want to mention with the difference between men and women treatment is for the most part, um, treatment is similar between men and women. The only thing I'll say is treatment only differs, and this isn't necessarily between men and women, but there's something called hemiplegic migraine, which is very rare. Uh, but that's essentially when a migraine can mimic a stroke. Migraines can do, migraine attacks can do a lot of things. So as you, I don't know if you heard of migraine with aura. What is aura? Aura is essentially either what we call a negative or positive. Negative meaning it's taking something away. Positive means it's given. So the most common aura is the visual aura that's positive because it's giving you that symptom, which is the flashing lights, the zigzags. That's the most common thing, but it could do anything. It could do numbness. It could do tinglingness. It could do, you know, I have patients who say they, they can't, they have trouble reading or, you know, they have trouble speaking, you know, 
And what's hemiplegic? Hemiplegic is when you have loss of motor function. When you know, okay, I can't move my left and my my left arm and leg. Again, it's not common, um, but that and people always think they're having a stroke, which it's you know it needs to be completely ruled out. It's a very scary thing. But people who suffer that treatments like triptans and whatnot are not given. Um, and uh, to go back to the question when going through menopause, so for the most part. First, I'll say treatment, we typically treat as migraine. But when it comes to situations that we know could be estrogen-related, this is when the question of estrogen replacement comes in. So at menopause, for instance, if, I, if a patient's telling me their you know, headache history and I you know, realize that it correlates, it correlates with, okay, this is happening during menopause specifically, like, then that's when the conversation of, you may benefit from estrogen replacement therapy, you know, hormone replacement therapy that might work. And this is in conjunction with their OBGYN, you know, because right. estrogen is not a, a, a mild treatment. Estrogen carries risks, you know. Estrogen um, is, like I said, it works on a lot of different functions. You know, estrogen is, for the most common, is a, uh, a pro-clotting um, element, meaning that, you know, if you can't just give it to everyone, you want to cause a stroke or a clot somewhere. That right. this, if that ever comes up, I always say we need to talk to OBGYN because first rule of medicine is do no harm, you know. Um, and like I will admit, I haven't commonly given, you know, have recommended that because again, it has to, you know, I have to have the clinical picture that this is where I think timing up with, um, you know, something that's estrogen related, but it is a possibility. And to add that on, going with, you know, when we think it's estrogen related, uh, menstrual migraine, you know, there are women who, you know, they specifically get it during their menstrual cycle. And when, again, I pick this up, first, we typically try to treat it as migraine, you know, and there are treatments such as there are certain triptans like Provotriptan, Narotriptan, Zomotriptan that uh, we, I will prescribe and say during your menstrual cycles, take these every day, you know, take it for three days, take it for five days. And that's, I would say, one of the most common treatments we give for women who we know it's menstrual related. But let's say that doesn't cut it. And this is when maybe birth control comes in. You know, and this one, again, this is not the answer to everybody, but in those scenarios, like I, you know, I'd be like, again, we need to talk to your OBGYN and maybe this, you know, because these treatments are not working, you know, it may be that you may benefit. Because some women have noticed that when they take birth control, their migraines cease or they get worse. Like I said, it's, we don't fully know how like estrogen is fully related to it, that there are women who they tell me that they never got a migraine until they took birth control you know, until they started taking an estrogen product. You know, I've had patients who, you know, who, for instance, might have some kind of cancer, like breast cancer. Now they're on an estrogen modulating treatment and now migraines are coming, you know. So right, it really, right. it's, it, it, it's sort of all over the place, but it comes back to being related to estrogen. Got it, got it. So besides hormones, what can trigger a headache or migraine? That is a three-day-long question to answer. Um, can, you, can you make it a little shorter than three days? <laughs> so the first thing to say is everyone, just like everyone has unique treatments, everyone could have unique triggers to it. You know, right. And the, I'll start with one of the most common triggers. So the most common trigger is really what I call mood-related events, stress, depression, anxiety. We do know depression is the most common comorbidity-correlated condition with migraine. Um, it's sort of also a chicken or the egg. Well, what, you know, is it that, you know, having depression, you know, has led to migraine attacks or your migraine attacks are, you know, worse than depression, but we know mood related stuff. I have a lot of patients when they come in like, oh, my, my attacks are more frequent. I say, what's, you know, what's been happening in the past month? Like, 
They lost a family member, lost their job. I had a patient yesterday. Their had a premium set up. They were laid off, you know, last month. Um, you know, something going on with family relationship, um, worsening depression, worsening anxiety. That's why all my visits, I always ask about mood. I always ask about it because, you know, it's, it's you know, common that depression and anxiety could be, you know, undiagnosed. You know, I usually do a depression screening first time I meet a patient, which is only a few questions on my part. But again, it can make a major difference. And, you know, it doesn't even mean like, oh, I have to be an antidepressant. It's even just, hey, listen, I want you just to see a therapist, you know, just social worker, someone to talk to. It's a very simple thing to screen for. Um, the same thing when it comes to anxiety and stress-related stuff, you know. Uh, and then the other more common treatments uh, would be weather changes. I always say the best meteorologist is a migraine sufferer. And there is science to it. You know, this first yeah. comes up. They've done a lot of population studies where they've, you know, canvassed the country. What's the prevalence, the frequency of migraine. What about triggers and weather changes? Patients think they're crazy when they bring that. Like, I feel like when it's going to rain, that's what happens. But I don't know. I'm like, no, that's actually legitimate. Like, that's a thing. And we think it's just something called uh, the proposal of why that's happening is we have uh, barrier receptors in our, you know, by our ears and our brains, pressure sensors. And the thought is when, you, you know, bad weather, low to high pressure systems, you know, in the atmosphere, that's sort of the logic why that's happening. Like I have patients who say, whenever it's going to rain, it's going to happen. Or, you know, what about, uh, I, I have so many patients this past summer that the heat waves, they said their headaches, you know, worse. Actually, we were just on CBS News talking about how climate change might worsen migraine attacks and increase frequency. You know, because if we're having more and more of these, you know, strange phenomena, like these heat waves, blizzards, hurricanes, you know, I'm in New York, the wildfire smoke. You know, we had, you know, the Canadian wildfires are causing right. all this smoke to occur on the eastern seaboard, which this, you know, might be a common thing for the West Coast. That, I've never encountered such a thing. Right, you know, right. In, in my life it was terrible. Up. And we, I actually, as a project, we looked at the um, frequency of calls, not only the Mount Sinai Headache Center got, but other New York City Headache Centers and had even ones in Philadelphia. And we saw there was around a 27% increase in calls we got. So wow. clearly now, again, this is speculation because we don't have the data to fully tell it was this about worsening migraine, but we did have a call increase. And it begs the question, with climate change, are we going to be seeing worsening, you know, migraine frequency? Other common triggers are dietary ones. And this is, a like I said, I could talk forever about this. There are many, many different reports of dietary things from gluten, dairy, chocolate. Um, I actually just wrote a manuscript about MSG. Interesting, MSG is not as... It's very, um, uh, um, there's a lot of controversy yeah. if MSG actually causes headache. Right. A lot of the studies they did back in the 70s and the 80s are sort of, they're not great. Um, you know, for instance, uh, there's all these, there are these studies that say, oh, look, MSG caused headache. When we gave it to people, they gave these participants five grams of MSG. What do you think the average intake of MSG is, the daily intake of a person? What? It's 0.3 to 0.6 grams, very small compared to what they gave in the studies. So, right. and also a lot of people aren't aware what is in, you know, uh, where MSG is. People think it's in mostly uh, Asian cuisines. Like, Asian no, what cuisine, if I told you right. certain foods like tomatoes naturally have MSG? So what I say is MSG could cause headache, but be sure you know what you're eating. So when it comes to dietary, you know, so I say always keep a very good food diary. Um, but again, triggers could be, you know, all over the place. Like I'll say my own from, for me, airplanes. Uh, about 12 hours or so, maybe the day after flying, I will get a migraine attack. And also changes. That's pressure though, right? Because of the pressure. 
right? Right, and still have to be pressured. Okay. Um, and right. a lot of, and then for me, it's sleep, but not specifically lack of sleep. And this actually perplexes me a lot because when I was back in residency, resident physicians are not sleeping much. Like we're sleeping four or right. five hours a night. And I always thought like my headache attacks would go to heck in residency, but I'll be on the wards sleeping four hours a night. I wouldn't get a headache attack for weeks. And I'm like, that's weird. But then when I would go to my clinic rotation where I would get more sleep, the day after I would get a migraine attack. So it's change in sleep patterns. Oh, I was just going to ask about sleep because women, and you know, as we get older, we and menopause, tend, a lot of us have sleep issues. So you're saying you know, too well, much that's sleep. That's a whole, again, another right. area too, where, you know, sleep right. um, can, uh, it's another thing I always screen with my new patients because one, sleep apnea is poorly, is commonly seen in migraine and not commonly diagnosed, but you're absolutely right where I always say, if you want good headache health, you need good sleep health. You know, because sleep for a long time, uh, you know, that's been like the, a big question in medicine since Asian times. What is sleep actually doing? What does sleep do? The brain is actually running when we're sleeping. You know, when, when we sleep, our hearts beat slower, metabolism decreases. The brain ain't resting. The brain is like, it's still, it's still going. But a major function of sleep we sort of figured out is that sleep cleans the brain. Meaning during the day, thinking, feeling, all this stuff, pain, et cetera, it uses neuropeptides, you know, chemicals. And there's byproducts. And when these byproducts, uh, they will build up and they're pro-inflammatory. Sleep sort of think of it as it flushes it out. It recycles all. So if you're not having good sleep, you know, well, then you're having this buildup. And that's why it's very important to have, you know, uh, like, you know, seven, eight hours, not interrupted. Because I can tell how many patients might be like, yeah, I get eight hours. And then I ask the question, how many times are you waking up? He feels interrupted. He go, oh yeah, three or four times a night. Well, that's not good quality sleep, you know, especially with sleep apnea when you know there, you know, they, there's these breathing difficulties and they wake up from it, and you're, they're not getting good sleep cycles. They're not getting in the proper phases of sleep. That's why I always, you know, scream for sleep. But just to go back to triggers, it could really be anything. Like this is why I always say keep a headache diary. I always tell my patients the price of admission to keep hanging out with me is to keep a headache diary because that is the most important, you know really intervention that we could do for our patients because we're human. We don't have perfect memory. It's natural. You know, right, recall bias right. is a real thing that one, when patients come to me, they typically remember their worst attacks. I care about all headaches, even the small ones. I can tell how many patients come to me and they say, oh yeah, I have seven attacks a month. I'm like, all right, keep a headache diary. They come back. Oh, it's 14, 15, it's all these little ones. And just to go back to chronic migraine, remember the definition is it, it's eight migraine days plus seven or more headache days. Right. And those can be even as super mild. You know, it, it doesn't matter. The severity headache day is a headache day. And also when it comes to the headache diary, it's how we figure out triggers. You know, that's how I figured out airplane triggers and sleep for me. And, you know, I'll give a, this example. This is a very interesting trigger. I've seen it once, but what goes back to anything can be a trigger. A patient of mine comes, to keep a headache diary. She does. And a headache diary is evolved. Meaning these are not, these take time. You're not going to figure out these answers because first she comes to me and we get, you know, a proper frequency. They were almost every day. And then I say, pay attention to what time it happens. And then she comes back and it's, oh, it's happening in the morning. And I'm like, let me know your morning routine. And I said, let me know what you're having for breakfast. And she comes back again. Headache days correlated days that she cooked eggs. I'm like, all right, stop eating, stop eating eggs. And her migraine attacks went down dramatically. Wow. And, you know, 
But then she came back for the next follow-up and told me her favorite food is omelets. And I'm like, all right, I don't know what you want from me. I figured out how to reduce your headaches. You have to find a new favorite food. Right. You right. substitute. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know what you right. I, not... Pick your poison. Yeah. So exactly. what, are some, what are some tips to prevent migraines, to prevent well, getting them? One is, again, headache diary triggers. You know, it, okay. it, it, it goes back to that where... And just because you know certain triggers doesn't mean you can fully prevent attacks. Like even though I know what my triggers are, I was to get an attack maybe once a week, once every ten days. You know, it's not a. It's just we know what things to sort of avoid to reduce our frequency. But I, because I tell patients, don't get too hyper focused on that because again, these attacks will still happen. We do know there's a genetic component. We do know there's other components like that where there are patients like, no, I want to stop all attacks. We can't cure migraines. You know, they will still most likely occur. The goal of us is to reduce it and that whenever you get it, there's something you could take to bring you back to function so you don't lose a day to headache. You know, so that's, again, when it comes to the headache diary, you know, that as well. But again, I'll start with some basics, you know, in the sense that, again, proper sleep, Good hydration, good nutrition, square meals, meaning I people, oh, I only eat one big, like, no, you want meals spread out. Um, when it comes to caffeine, I get asked that a lot. Caffeine is a double-edged sword, meaning for some people it's a treatment, for some it's a trigger. So I don't tell people, oh, don't drink coffee. If you say, oh, I notice it makes my headache worse. Okay, don't drink coffee. You know, um, if you know what helps it, take and drink coffee, like Excedrin. Excedrin has caffeine in it. You know, like I said, there are studies that show it's, helpful and not helpful. But when I ask about coffee, I ask how much, how much tea, because usually I don't want more than three or four cups a day. That's a lot of caffeine. You know, people, when I ask that question, they go, oh, I I drink two cups of tea a day. I'm like, that's fine. That's not a problem, you know? Um, And then I bring up, you know, we know exercise is beneficial. Even yoga is beneficial, you know? So I always bring up exercise and whatnot. Um, when it comes to women, I always say, you know, you know, most women are, but, you know, be sure you're following your, your menstrual cycles and knowing if headache is related to that. Because I do get some patients go, oh, I'm not sure if headache is worse. I'm like, oh, it's something to keep track of. You know, it's something to be, you know, aware of. Because, again, that's all. It's all this is all helpful information to me because, you know, I, I like to say every doctor would say their field is the hardest. I say headache medicine is the hardest because we're taking the subjective and making it objective, meaning a lot of fields of medicine, there's an objective component. Like I said, I was internal medicine before. I used to work in the ICU a lot. The ICU, very objective. Adjust ventilator settings. We're looking at blood work. And no knock to the, to, 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 to the uh, intensivists. Very difficult job. Very smart people, of course. But, you know, there's objectivity to it where me, every, you know, pain is subjective. Everyone's pain is unique. And I sort of have to interpret you know mm-hmm. what there i can tell you how many times people come and they're not saying pain they're having pressure and i sort of decipher oh no this is actually a migraine but you know this comes to you know when you're 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 feeling these uh, headache attacks you know be you don't have to like write an essay but you know what is the pain like is this a pulsating pain is the stabbing is it dull because again this kind of information coming to us you know gives us a lot of you know good detail to work with and to you know better help your headache Okay, so let's let's move up. This is a question I want to know the answer to. With 42 million people suffering from migraines, what is the economic impact of the condition? Like, how is this really affecting us? So there's direct and indirect. I don't want to say the wrong number. If I remember right, because like I said, I've done a lot of work in population studies. Like We actually have 
Um, I presented back in 2021, um, me and a group of other fantastic individuals, we did a systematic review, meaning we looked at all of the um, US-based epidemiology studies, and we saw that the prevalence, meaning the number of the frequency of migraine is stable, but the impact is going up. And right. hopefully will be in publication in a couple of months. We actually submitted it. Um, and the uh, when it comes to the economic impact, the last number I know of direct costs, meaning, you know, ER visits, medications, you know, is, uh, I think, around $20.1 billion. But then wow. comes the big question, what's the indirect? You know, what about people, what we call absenteeism or, or, or pre, uh, I'm going to say this wrong. Uh, it's like present uh, presenteeism. I probably said that wrong, but absenteeism is calling out of work. But you, what about when you're at work and you just you're dealing with the attack? You're having right. you know your work is reduced. Like for instance, one of the most common ways that we assess the impact, the burden of migraine, is something called a Midas score. And the questions are: How many days in the past three months do you miss work? But also, how many days do you feel your work is reduced by 50% because those count too. And this is a big thing that's getting looked at because I, I, you know, as a migraine sufferer myself, there are days I'm at work where the migraine starts during the day. I don't want to call out. I don't want to use a sick day. I just, I get through the day. But you bet, you know, you're doing reduced work. Yeah, you're not as effective, right. What impact does that have? And, you know, I don't know the number of indirect on top of my head, but like it's, and I bet it's underestimated because first off, you have people who aren't aware that they suffer from a migraine attack. There are, I think there are millions of Americans that aren't aware. You know, once and this well, is full, foolproof, I say, if you ever have a headache attack that over-the-counter doesn't work and it's lasting all day, now it could be, you know, I'm not diagnosing all these, you know, Americans right now, but it could, could have been a migraine attack. So, well, I was going to ask that question then. What are typical symptoms of a migraine attack? So we do have our, you know, textbook answer, and I'll start with that, that the, the typical textbook answer is a unilateral, one-sided, throbby, pulsating headache that is moderate to severe, that's very painful, lasting at least four hours, um, mm-hmm. and that it could have what we call a migraine-associated symptom, meaning a migraine-associated symptom is photophobia, lights make it worse, sound makes it worse, nausea, you know. Um, and when it comes to the aura, a lot of people think uh, most people get aura. No, only 30% of migraineers get the aura. So it's not the majority, but that's our textbook. And really it could present a lot of ways. And because there is something called the ICHD, the international classification of headache disorders. Think of it as our Holy Bible. Like that is like, it is a, the, um, committee within the international headache society, you know, get together, like, let's say once they're actually getting together soon again for the fourth classification, and they decide what are the requirements for every kind of headache. And there's dozens and dozens of headaches. There's some, there's some interesting headaches out there. Like the example I give is like, you've, you, you know what brain freeze feels like, right? Yep. Imagine if you sure have brain do. freeze for three hours, that cold stimulus <laughs> headache, you know, and I, you know, there, there's also something called primary sexual headache that at climax you have a thunderclap splitting headache there are a lot of interesting headaches out there but migraine is the bread and butter of what we do so the there are different requirements for it and the pain requirement is that you have two out of the following four 
that it okay. is one-sided, that it is pulsing or throbbing, that is moderate to, to severe, um, and that uh, that is essentially worse with movement. Now, again, what if you have on both sides, uh, it's severe and worse with movement? Well, it doesn't matter that it's both sides. You know, again, because I was saying, oh, people think it's one-sided. You know, you already met two. And doesn't you could tell me it's dull, but again, it's severe and worse at movement. It fits the pain criteria. So really, there's a lot of different ways it presents. A lot of people come to me and they think that they're, you know, and it could, doesn't have to be in the front. It could be back here. Location is actually not part of it. You know, it could be, you know, people could have it in uh, the back of the head, an occipital area, as we call it. You know, it could be both sides. It could be by the ears. You know, those are not restrictive. So it could present a lot of different ways that, yes, the common way is one side behind the eye. But, you know, that's why I say if you're having bad attacks that Tylenol, Advil, Aleve isn't helping you, go see, you know, find the nearest headache specialist. You could very well be suffering migraine or a different kind of attack. Like I said, there are a lot of different kind of headache disorders out there. I've caught some interesting stuff. Wow. It's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot. So it just presents itself differently and everybody. And basically, we should keep a diary if we're yep. experiencing every bad headaches. Every headache and, is unique. That's what I tell every right. patient. Every headache is unique. Because though I patients say, oh, this isn't a typical migraine. I go, hold I'm like, that doesn't mean anything. First of all, I'm the judge of that. <laughs> and <laughs> you, they, yes, we have our typical. But, it, but again, it could be pain is subjective. Pain is yep. subjective. Yep. Some of us have a higher threshold. Some don't. Right. I, I understand. Who bring up like, oh, yeah, no, it doesn't really bother me. And then I guess I ask all my questions. And I, yeah, no, sometimes I have to leave work early. Well, if you're leaving work early, clearly it's impact. That's you. a problem. Right. Right. Well, this is fascinating. Uh, wow. Again, I just got the seasonal one. So, you know, if the pollen's really bad, then I start to so what, what is, so explain people like me that got them seasonally. Is it the pollen? I mean, what, is that what that is? Pressure? Do you keep a headache diary? No, I don't. I mean, you don't have the price <laughs> permission to hang out with me. So, you know, again, I'm sorry. this comes back <laughs> I to, I will. you know, uh, when yours is occurring seasonally and um, that it could be just basal information, maybe pollen or whatever of the seasonal allergy is causing that inflammatory cascade. Right. You know, that could be it. Um, and there could be other factors, you know, again, and also, and I'm not saying yours isn't seasonal. There are times where patients tell me they think it's X, they see the diary and it's Y, it's something else, you know. Yep. Again, recall bias is real. Um, and it comes back to the central question, what is starting this whole cascade? Again, we have hypothesis, but we're not fully sure, you know. Is it for you? What if it's not the... Colin, what if it's change in temperature, change in weather, you know? Yep. Change in sun exposure. Well, now you're making me think I will keep a diary on it. There you go. Because we are in that time of year right now. Mm -hmm. So this has been fascinating. I'm gonna we're gonna wrap it up. Is there anything else you want to add before we You know, the I'm very, you know, active in advocacy for migraine and other headache disorders. And, you know, one thing I like coming on these platforms is again, raising awareness that if you are a loved one or a friend, you ever notice that they brought up a headache, like, yeah, I got a bad headache today. Like bring up like, oh, do you think, you know, have you spoken to your doctor about it? Oh, look up stuff because there are a lot of resources. Like for instance, this past 
um, uh, this past Sunday, just recently, um, I uh, was a speaker at something called Miles for Migraine, which is one of the largest migraine advocacy groups. They do uh, 5Ks and walks all over the country to raise money for awareness, research, training uh, for headache providers. Um, there's foundations like the American Migraine Foundation, a very active American Headache Society. And a lot of the mission goals for these organizations is, again, raising awareness and having people aware that this isn't just a headache. I always encourage you know anyone listening that if you've noticed that maybe even once a month you get a bad headache that you can't really shake it nothing helps talk to your doctor about it there are okay. specialists out there people like myself you know that I, I'll admit we're quite rare but we exist that this is all we do I only right. see this kind of condition in my clinic I only see headache patients you know and then as I guess a um, promotion for myself. Uh, I do have a website, uh, fredcohenmd.com or headache123.com that I do have a blog of just topics. Like I just did one about vitamin D uh, and headache that we see a lot of the times in those with migraine or headache disorders, there's actually vitamin D deficiency. Mm-hmm. And usually I, you know, um, I talk about sort of interesting and hot topics going on in migraine stuff. But again, it's all about outreach that, you know, if you're suffering this, see a provider. That's great. Okay. Wow. Thanks so much, Dr. Cohen. This has been fascinating. Thank you for having me here. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out a lot. I have a new pro-aging podcast bi-weekly, so please contact Lauren at fountainof30.com for sponsorship opportunities. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. Remember, if you are suffering from headaches, keep a diary and also an anti-inflammatory diet seems to help. So take care, everybody. Bye.